0: Welcome to When One Thing Leads to Another, a podcast that takes you freewheeling down the great internet rabbit hole of trivia.
1: Each week we pick a starting point and then who knows where all the twists, turns and tangents will take us, but we'll be sure to unearth a treasure trove of frivolous facts that will be as fascinating as they are, well, useless.
0: When One Thing Leads to Another is produced and presented by us, Helen and Bill Rich. Our theme music is by Justin Mitchell.
1: This is episode 14 Picasso. Well, yesterday, we started to create our gallery wall, didn't we?
0: We did indeed, which
1: is all the rage and possibly cliched and ever so slightly pretentious, which I quite like.
0: Yeah, a little bit.
1: And one of the pictures we have on our gallery wall is by Pablo Picasso. It is indeed. So, I thought I would kick this week's episode off with um, an interesting fact about Picasso. Okay, and the first thing that jumped out was the fact that Picasso was baptised with 23 names.
0: Were they Catholic, perhaps?
1: They were indeed. I'm now going to give you his full name. Take a deep breath, here it comes.
0: Can you do it in the style of the Beautiful South song for whoever?
1: <laughs> Pablo Diego, Jose Francisco, Di Paola, Juan, Machino, Maria, De Los Remedios, Cipriano, De La Santissima, Trinidad Matir Patrizio Quito Ruiz Ibcaso.
0: Wow, that was very good.
1: Thank you very much. <laughs> on a side note, just quickly, I googled what is the world record for the longest name?
0: Oh, yeah. Yeah,
1: and I found out that it belonged to a German chap born in 1914. He only died in 1997. Mm. And his name was, are you ready for this? Go on, then. He was German, so...
0: Do it like you're in low low. <laughs>
1: No, that would be too reductive. Here we go, ready? Come on. Adolf, Blaine, Charles, David, Earl, Frederick, Gerald, Hubert, Irvin, John, Kenneth, Lloyd, Martin, Nero, Oliver, Paul, Quincy, Randolph, Sherman, Thomas, Uncas, Victor, William, Xerxes... Xerxes. Xerxes, Yancey, Zeus. And his final name contains 597 letters so I'm not going to do all of it but it begins 597 oh, oh. letters that's the longest name that's ever been recorded according to the Guinness Book of Records so if we thought that uh, old Pablo Picasso's was yeah. unnecessarily long yeah. try and be old uh, well I won't say his name again because no. it's going to take too no, long. No
0: exactly we haven't got all day. <laughs>
1: Anyway, let's get back to Picasso. Yeah. Um, he was famously born in Malaga, in mm-hmm. Spain, in mm-hmm. 1881. Mm. And during his life, he lived in a number of different places, most famously Barcelona and Paris, of course. Now, I found this rather interesting. In Paris, in 1911, when Picasso was living there, Leonardo da Vinci's Mona Lisa was stolen from the Louvre. Oh. And during their investigations, the police questioned a man called Guillermo Apollinaire. Now, Apollinaire had previously received stolen paintings. That's why the police came a-knocking. And Apollinaire tipped the cops off that his good friend Pablo Picasso was responsible for the theft. Oh. Because he'd sold on stolen paintings to Picasso in the past. Oh. Yeah, so the old cops went and detained old Pablo for questioning, where, of course, he denied any involvement at all.
0: But he had previously, that's a fact, is it, that he had previously received stolen paintings from... His mate?
1: Well, um, this is the claim by Apollinaire. Right. And it was only two years later that it was discovered that an employee of the Louvre... A bloke called Vincenzo Perugia, who was an Italian security guard, was responsible for lifting the masterpiece.
0: Oh, so Picasso had nothing to do with it. So
1: he had nothing to do with it. There's still this sort of enduring um,
0: conspiracy conspiracy
1: that he had some sort of involvement. But no, this this guy was banged to rights.
0: So they found it. Did he have it? Yeah,
1: he actually stored it for two years in his little flat. Two
0: years? Is. Can yeah. you imagine in your li- tiny little flat, yeah. having the Mona Lisa sitting there for two years?
1: Exactly right. What must
0: people thought when they came around to visit? Maybe he didn't have any visitors.
1: I think he probably kept <laughs> that pretty shtum, to be perfectly honest. Anyway, the reason he claims that he stole it was because he felt that it belonged back in Italy, the home yes. of... Da Vinci, yeah. of course. Yeah. Um, and so he, after a couple of years, he managed to get it back to Italy, and oh, he wow. he tried to sell it to uh, an art dealer. At which point, he was then nicked.
0: Right. Wow, that's amazing. He managed to get it back to Italy on yeah. The scene.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And he served seven months. Mm. of a one-year and 15-day prison sentence, right. I think it was. Mm. Um, which sounds lenient, and it was, perhaps, because the Italian justice system felt yeah. that, uh, Ol oh, Vincenzo Perugia...
0: He had good intentions. He had good intentions
1: and was a good patriot and was yeah. simply trying to bring back home the yeah. Mona Lisa. Yeah,
0: la giocanda. Mm. Very good. Talking of uh, Leonardo da Vinci... The renaissance master. Of course. Uh, I found out he was vegetarian and concerned about animal welfare. Okay, nice guy. Yeah, apparently he used to buy caged birds just so he could release them. Oh, Which seems a little bit counterproductive because you're buying into a system that you don't agree with. Do you know what I mean?
1: Yeah, well you're being a bit smarter than old Leonardo yeah, da Vinci.
0: I, I just think that's a bit silly. But anyway, uh, how many paintings would you guess that da Vinci painted?
1: Oh, good question. Um, Bearing oof.
0: in mind, we, you know, we previously talked about Vincent van Gogh and he was pretty uh, prolific, wasn't he? He
1: did hundreds and hundreds. Yeah. I'll guess a uh, hundred.
0: Only 15 are attributed 15? to him. Fifteen? Yeah, only 15 are attributed to him. Oh, wow. Yeah, yeah. Um, he was a good singer according to people who knew him okay and he could play the lyre and the flute and he invented an organ viola harpsichord <laughs> instrument right. that didn't get past the design stage but it was eventually built in 2013 by polish instrument maker zlavomir zabruski right i found a snippet of it being played <laughs> That was rather nice, wasn't it? It
1: was, very pleasant.
0: So, you know how Leonardo da Vinci, he's a bit—he's one of those kids at school that you probably didn't really like because he was just what? really good at everything. Oh, OK. Well, as well as being an artist, he was also a scientist. Oh, yeah, that's right. Musician, engineer and mathematician.
1: Oh, yeah, hence true. Hence the
0: expression, a renaissance man. Or maybe, as he was called at school, a bit of a git.
1: Or a jack-of-all-trades master of none.
0: Yeah, <laughs> although he was master of bloody everything, wasn't he? Oh,
1: he was very annoying. Oh, yeah. Right just rewinding back to old Pablo Picasso where we started and the fact that he was born in Malaga I was Mm. googling other famous Malagayans, which is what I'd like to think people from Malaga are called but I have no idea if that's uh, true or not and I found that old Antonio Banderas was born there and comes from there and I found something interesting about old Antonio. Did you know that in 2015 he lived in Cobham in Surrey, oh. in the UK of all places, and went to Central St Martin's College in London to study fashion design.
0: What? Oh yeah. my gosh, can you imagine being on the same course as Antonio Banderas? I know. I wouldn't get any work done.
1: No, quite. And now I cannot, for the life of me, find out what degree he got or if he indeed graduated at all. Um, but if he wanted a career in the Fashion. He was definitely in the right place. Yes. um, Because the alumni of uh, Central Saint Martins College in London has some globally successful fashion designers, Mm, not um, least among them Alexander McQueen, Matthew Williamson, John Galliano, and Stella McCartney. Yeah. So he was in good company.
0: Lots of people went to Central St. Martin's, not just fashion designers. Well,
1: no, I'm glad you. Oh, that's yeah. funny you should say that because I'm just coming on to that. Mm. There were also some rather notable musicians, yes. too.
0: Yeah.
1: Uh, PJ Harvey, Polly Jean yeah. Harvey, yeah. Paloma Faith. Oh. MIA. Oh, yeah. Or Mia. I yeah. never quite know what to say there. Yeah. And of course, famously, I would say Jarvis Cocker. Yes. Uh, from pulp. And yeah. of course, we all remember. Common People, where he name-checks the college, doesn't he? Does. Doesn't he? Yeah. She came he from, from Greece. Greece, she had yeah. a thirst for knowledge. knowledge, she studied sculpture yeah. at yeah. St Martin's, Martin's College, college. That's, that's where, where I, could And there was a documentary about the song Common People and mm. how Jarvis and Pulp came to uh, make it on the BBC in 2006 oh. um, and someone has actually posted it on YouTube so it can be watched mm. even to this day. Mm. The, um, the researchers, the BBC researchers attempted to track down the Greek girl mentioned in the lyrics oh. um, but failed to find her oh. um, and then many years later I'm reading here um, many years later, in 2015, a Greek newspaper claimed they had finally tracked her down uh. and claimed it was someone by the name of Danae Stratou, if wow. I've pronounced that right. Mm. Um, and rather interestingly, she happened to be the wife of the then Greek finance minister, a bloke called Yanis Varoufakis. Oh yeah. Now, do you remember him? He was all over the news. Yeah, the name
0: is familiar. Yeah,
1: during the, the Gre- bailout, was it? Yeah, the Greece's financial yeah. debt crisis. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, yeah, so it came to light that, according to this Greek newspaper, that his wife, who is a visual artist,
0: did she not confirm it?
1: She possibly wouldn't have been aware of it because right. Jarvis Cocker said that he didn't really know the girl. It was, it was an overheard. Conversation, right?
0: Uh, but he oh. obviously,
1: for the song, it's as if I see. she's speaking directly to him. I
0: see, and she did go, and this woman did. Yeah, go so to... they tried. So
1: they worked out that she oh. had been there um, between 1983 and 1988, which was the same time that Jarvis had, had enrolled to do. I think it was a film degree course.
0: Right. Okay. Oh, that's 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 great. If it is her,
1: and staying with common people, Jarvis Cocker put his film studies degree to good use because he also directed the video for it. And I was digging around there and I found out something rather interesting, that one of the girls who's dancing in the background mm. when the band are performing the song yeah. was none other than Keeley Hawes.
0: Keeley Hawes. Keeley
1: Hawes, Keeley. her off of Line of Duty.
0: Keeley Hawes, I was just um, doing a bit of research on her. She appears yeah. in a few pop videos. Oh, right. Yeah, including Suede's Saturday Night. She's a oh, yeah. star. By James. Oh right! And okay. Marvelous by the Lightning Seeds. So she was oh, the blimey. she was the nineties go-to pop video girl. She certainly sounds like
1: it. Wow, that's a lot, isn't it?
0: Yeah, she went to the famous Sylvia Young Stage School.
1: Oh yes, okay.
0: And was close pals with Emma Bunton, aka Baby Spice. Ah, the Baby Spice. Yeah.
1: Off of the Spice Girls. Off of
0: the Spice Girls. Talking of the Spice Girls.
1: <laughs> Why not?
0: Baby Spice Emma Bunton wasn't included in the original lineup, did you know?
1: I didn't know that. No.
0: Yeah, she was um it was an there was another singer called Michelle Stevenson. Oh, who, right. Yeah, who was either sacked by their management for not being committed enough or left the band to spend time with her real mother, depending on whose story you believe. Oh, OK. But either way, I wonder, does she um, kick herself?
1: I don't imagine she has quite the same bank balance as Emma Bunton. Does no, that, that's
0: got to be a difficult thing to come to terms with, hasn't it?
1: I would think so, yeah.
0: Or maybe, I guess, depending on your priorities in life, maybe she's relieved. I don't know, but.
1: Who knows? Yeah.
0: Only 400, that seems like such a small number, but 400 hopefuls responded to the ad placed by Heart Management to audition for an all female singing group. Okay. It's funny, isn't it? Because if you think about, you know, the X Factor and the thousands and thousands of people that queue up to audition for that. But I guess back in the 90s, this was early days. Yeah, OK. And it was a bit. Um,
1: 400. Actually, you had, you had better than a one in 100 chance. Yeah, then.
0: it's not not actually um, that many people. And um, did you know that they weren't originally called the Spice Girls? Oh, right. Yeah. The, the band name was originally Touch.
1: Touch. Yeah, Ooh.
0: and they recorded a song called Sugar and Spice, which remains unreleased, Okay, uh, but took their name from it. And the five of them lived in a semi in Maidenhead. You just said places. semi. I did, yeah. The Spice Girls are the biggest-selling female group of all time, outselling the Supremes by quite a margin.
1: Just going back, if I may, from my earlier discovery that Keely Hawes appears in the video for Common People by Pulp. Uh, She famously starred in, as we mentioned, Line of Duty. Yeah, And I found something mildly interesting about that, if I may be so bold. Now, you will remember the character called Matthew Cotton, who was nicknamed Dot, Dot. that's right. Dot Cotton after the EastEnders character. Well, I've read here on the old internet that in the original script, mm. the character's name was Matthew Windsor oh. and he was going to be called
0: Babs. Oh, that is brilliant. <laughs> Actually, I remember being surprised to learn that Martin Compston, you know who plays the role of Steve Arnott, yeah. That he's Scottish. Oh, yeah,
1: yeah, that was a surprise, yeah.
0: Yeah, and has a broad Glaswegian accent because um, his, his English accent is really good. His London
1: accent yeah. is very good, yeah. Yeah.
0: Well, it also su- supposedly surprised a lot of the filming crew, too, in the first series because Compton spoke in his London accent on set during the whole shoot, not just in his scenes. Oh, bit, right. Bit okay. Method, bit Stanislavski there. Um, that's probably why he's so good at it, unlike famously Dick Van Dyke in Mary Poppins. <laughs> oh. Poor old Dick Dick Van Dyke, he's taken a lot of stick for that accent, hasn't he? And despite a long and illustrious career, it's probably the thing he's best known for in this country, at least. Isn't I would it? say
1: so, yeah, yeah, and yeah. Will be
0: remembered for. He has said that he was completely unaware during the shoot that anything was wrong with his Cockney accent. <laughs> I was working with an entirely English cast and nobody said a word, not even Julie Andrews, and nobody said I needed to work on it, so I thought I was all right. (laughs) Bless him.
1: He was probably thinking, I'm really nailing this Cockney business.
0: Yeah. Even at the age of 91, poor old Dick was at the BAFTAs and still apologising for what he called, (laughs) quote, the most atrocious Cockney accent in the history of cinema.
1: Dear old Dick. Yeah. Yeah. OK, well, the whole Dick Van Dyke in me We puppins has uh, prompted me to delve into the world of terrible accents oh. in cinematic history. Oh,
0: great. Well, there's plenty of them. There's
1: plenty of them. It's something of a bugbear in our house, Ooh, I would... don't
0: get me started. Don't get
1: you started on it, all right? Lee, Just park it right there. Yeah. And there are some real stinkers. Uh,
0: yes, there are. Uh, there
1: are. Not least Kevin Costner and Russell Crowe trying oh, to do a sort of Nottinghamshire yeah. accent yeah. in their respective... Robin Hood. Robin Hood Movies. Oh,
0: yeah, Russell Crowe's was c- comedic.
1: Yeah, but a real surpriser and an absolute
0: stinker
1: mm. um, I found uh, of Al Pacino, of all people. Okay. Who tries to do a London accent in a film called, a little known film called The Local Stigmatic. Oh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Never heard of it. Now, I hate to criticise Al Pacino because I'm, you know, I'm a big fan of his work, you know. Um, but mm. wow, just get a load of this. Look, right. He got me by the elbow, seaway, messing about,
0: moving the flesh about on it. That is dog shit. <laughs> Rewinding back to um, Dick's iffy accent in Mary Poppins, can you tell me who wrote the book on which oh. the films and stage show were based?
1: Well, knowing my utter lack of literary knowledge I don't know.
0: Okay. Well, it's P. L. Travers.
1: P. L. Travers. Okay. And I,
0: I did a little digging around and found some interesting facts about her. Okay. For a start, she wasn't particularly enthralled with the film adaptation. And I've read she actually cried when she first saw it.
1: Oh, tough review.
0: Yeah. Um, Her upset was caused by the animation scenes, which I thought were lovely. Oh. Which she had requested be removed. You're kidding. That's the best scenes of the blooming movie. Yeah, but Disney told her there was no time, so they stayed in. And surprisingly, though, she said that Dick Van Dyke's Cockney accent, quote, is really not too bad. (laughs) Do know, I'm really
1: questioning her judgment. Yeah,
0: she may be a a great author and has written a really good story, but her opinion on accents and film is
1: uh, not uh,
0: particularly great.
1: We can put those to one side, can't we?
0: And there's a few newspaper articles that don't paint a particularly nice picture of P.L. Travers, especially relating to her adoption of a relative's son and rejecting his twin. Oh. Yeah, and the songwriters for Mary Poppins, the Sherman brothers, described Travers as a hellcat.
1: Oh dear, okay.
0: Yeah, Controv. <laughs>
1: So you mentioned there the Sherman brothers who wrote the music for Mary Poppins. They were Robert and Richard Sherman. Yeah, and they wrote more film musical song scores than any other songwriting team in film history. Oh right, okay. Yeah. So as well as Mary Poppins, they also wrote the songs uh, in Chitty Chitty Bang Bang, The Jungle Book, The Aristocats, and Uh. Bed. Knobs and Broomsticks or whatever it was, um, among many, many others. Yeah, so they're very prolific, but I found an absolutely astonishing fact about them. Um, According to Time magazine, their song, It's a Small World After All, is the most publicly performed song of all time and yet I've never heard of it.
0: What on earth where now, is it from?
1: It's the, a song that's performed on a theme park ride of the same name that are in all Disney oh. Worlds and Disneyland's or whatever they're
0: called. Oh, and is it is it so is it played over and over again?
1: Exactly right. Oh. Yeah, so the Sherman Brothers were commissioned by Walt Disney to write a song for a Disney theme ride at right. the 1964 New York World Fair, and from that the theme ride has since been adopted by the six Disney theme resorts around the world. So Time magazine did some maths to work out how many times the song had been played by its 50th anniversary back in 2014. And they worked out that the song is played on a sort of continuous loop every day for however many hours each resort is open and came up with the figure of 50 million plays. And it has since been worked out that it is played every second of every day somewhere in the world.
0: Talking of Walt Disney, did you know that he didn't draw Mickey Mouse in the animations, oh. as, as many people think? Yeah, well, I did.
1: I thought he did. Yeah. yeah,
0: he did create the original sketch, apparently, on a train ride from New York back to California after he had lost the rights to his first animation. A character called Oswald the Lucky Rabbit oh, right. to Universal Studios. Yeah, they were very underhand and essentially diddled him, really, out of his um, copyright of Oswald the Lucky Rabbit. Although, who's ever heard of Oswald the Lucky Rabbit?
1: Exactly.
0: And he was feeling all dejected and sketched Mickey Mouse, and then he gave the sketch to a bloke by the name of Oob Iwerks to draw, and Oob became... Mickey Mouse's drawer. Oh, okay. <laughs> However, Walt did originally voice Mickey Mouse. Ah. He created the whole falsetto. Oh, you know, I, I
1: can't do it. <laughs> that was not a great impression. Hey, Minnie. That's better. Is bad. that right? Yeah. Yeah, that's more yeah right. he
0: created that whole falsetto voice thing. And when Mickey Mouse took off, Walt became too busy to do the voicing, okay. so in 1946 it was passed on to a chap called Jimmy MacDonald, right. who voiced Mickey for 31 years. Yeah, And after Jimmy, uh, a guy called Wayne Anthony Olwyn took on Mickey's voice and in a gloriously Disney-esque plot, Go on. Wayne married a woman called Russie Taylor who voiced Minnie Mouse and they lived happily ever after.
1: Thank you for listening to When One Thing Leads to Another a podcast produced and presented by us Helen and Bill Rich
0: If you've enjoyed this episode we'd really appreciate it if you could rate us and review us wherever you get your podcasts and don't forget to subscribe that way you'll never miss an episode
1: A massive thanks to Justin Mitchell for letting us use his music as our theme song. It's a track called Homo Erectus, taken from his brilliant album called The Garden of Earthly Delights, which is available to buy from Bandcamp.com.
0: Thanks also to Acast for hosting us.
1: Remember to join us next week for another episode of When One Thing Leads to Another.
0: Please note, all facts have been found on the internet and therefore we cannot vouch for their veracity.